0: You're listening to the College Age Movement Podcast. Hey guys, what's going on? Hope that you are doing well. Hey, on October 26th and 27th, we had an event here at the church called Movement Experience. And at that uh, event, we did two workshops, one on each night. And uh, we wanted to just put the audio out there from those workshops. On Tuesday night, uh, we had Nate Petzl, our lead pastor here at Faith Chapel Uh, teach a short workshop on Christianity and culture. So this event was largely attended by junior hires and high schoolers. So some of the things that are talked about uh, have a lot to do with students in that. But we thought it would be really relevant uh, information for you as well. So we hope you enjoy Here's Christianity and Culture by Nate Petzl. Here's what we're going to do. I was asked to speak on a specific topic. Mikey wrote me and said, hey, would you talk a little bit about our culture, okay, so what is culture? It's the environment we live in. It's, it's, not, it's not just a country, but it's a way of thinking, a way of doing life. Culture and also being a follower of Jesus and how that can sometimes be awkward and confusing and we don't know exactly what to do with our lives and how do we act and what are we supposed to think and why do I seem different than other people? Oh, that's a great question. And you know what? It's been a really long time since I was in junior high or high school like a really long time. But you know what? That's a problem that we faced when we were your age. You guys have a little bit more of a challenge, I think. Like, okay, so you're here in the room. Does anybody ever feel this? Like, I'm here in the room. When I come in this room, I feel really comfortable about the whole Jesus thing. But maybe you're in public school. (laughs) We're like, when I go to school, I don't feel so comfortable. Like, it's a whole nother part of me. I don't know how to bring that part of me, the part that Uh, loves the Lord, right? I don't know how to bring that into this world. The two seem different. Does anybody relate to that? Yeah? Okay. Two of you. Excellent. Well, those two, I'm going to speak to you. All right. So um, what I want to do is I want to read a passage of scripture written by a guy named Peter. He writes this about 62 AD. So it's a really early book in the New Testament. And he writes it because, guess what? It's not a problem that your generation faces and my generation faces. It's a problem that the earliest followers of Jesus faced because they had their own cultural challenges. So before we read this, though, i got to tell you a little bit about what's happening in their world. I only have one picture. I'm going to show you this picture, I think. Is everything working good? Did Kelsey fix it through her magic? Yes. Okay. This is a picture of, anybody know who this is? It's a person. Yes, Brilliant. Not Alexander the Great. You're kind of close. This is the Emperor Nero, okay? Here's what you got to know about Nero. Every single picture and statue we have of him, he has the nastiest neck beard you have ever seen. So apparently it never grew in the right spots. It's just down here. Every artist gives him this really weird, awkward neck beard. So Nero was um, not mentally stable, bad news, and he was also the emperor of the entire empire of Rome. So this is the most powerful man in the world in 62 AD when this book is written. He is in charge. And he has this thing. He worships the ancient Roman gods, okay? And he has this thing where he is the first Roman emperor who despises the followers of Jesus. He cannot stand them. In fact, I'm going to just tell you a few of the horrific things he does. Um, he has uh, this thing that he's going to blame Christians for anything bad that happens in the empire. He himself built down the, burnt down the city of Rome. And guess what he decided? He said, um, I'm going to blame it on the Christians. So then the culture started turning against the Christians. Uh, Nero, one of the sickest things he did was he took Christians who would not bow down and say that Caesar was Lord. And he said, okay, here's what you're going to do. You're going to go face the wild beasts. So he'd turn loose uh, hungry tigers, hungry lions on these Christians. Probably the most bizarre thing he ever did is he got a kick out of this. He had, he loved these nighttime parties. And I mean, they were like, they're parties, like way too much alcohol everybody's just out of control. And he thought it would be hilarious for his party guests if he took Christians, he lifted them into the air, put them in a vat of oil, and lit them on fire in order to bring light to his nighttime party, okay? So can you imagine you're trying to have, there's a party and there's Christians who are burning and screaming. And Nero thinks like this is kicks and giggles. Okay, so this is, this is a tough culture to live in, right? This is a culture where if you say, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus, it could mean the end of your life. It could mean torture. It could mean all kinds of difficult things. So Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, writes a book called 1 Peter. He also writes another book called 2 Peter. And he wants the people in uh, the cities, right? This is is just north of Rome. He wants them to know, like, there's a way where you can bring your life, where you're a follower of Jesus, and your culture. And there's a way of thinking about it where you can bring the two together. Okay, so we're going to read this text. I want to talk a little bit about it. I've got a few things to say, and then I'm looking forward to your questions. Okay, the questions at the end. So let's read together 1 Peter. If you brought your Bible, great. If not, I'll read it for you. First Peter chapter 2. It's towards the very end of the New Testament. Oh, yeah. My friend Sam's going for it. You passed it. You already passed it. Go back. Yes. Okay, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you, so he's speaking to the followers of Jesus who are living in a crazy place called the Roman Empire. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's, listen to this, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful life. Once you are not a people. But now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as, this is a really important little two words, okay, as foreigners and exiles. Some of your Bible translations would say aliens and strangers, okay, as foreigners and exiles, aliens and strangers, Two, here's what I want you to do. I want you to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans. The pagans are the people who don't believe, right? Though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. Right? So how, how do we... What's Peter saying? How does he say, this is is how you can bring your two lives together. This is how, when it might not be popular, when somebody might say hurtful things because of what you believe. How how do you live in the midst of your culture? So here's where, where Peter starts, okay? This is so important, okay? The first thing, if you want to be able to follow Jesus in the midst of a culture where that's not always popular, one, you have to know who you are. Okay, you got to know who you are. Your sense of identity. Who are you? Now, before Peter gets into behavior, he always talks about identity. Who you are. Listen, guys. Who you are is way more important than what you do. Okay. Unfortunately, sometimes in churches, definitely in school, we care a lot more about what you do, and we shouldn't. We should care more about who you are. So, I brought something with me. Does anybody know what this is? Passport. Passport. Okay. So, this passport... Says something about who I am, right? It says what? That I'm a citizen of the United States of America. It says my height, my age. It says the place where I was born, the day that I was born, and when this thing's gonna expire. Who I am matters a lot. Got a story. Like, this is a little bit about knowing who you are. My daughter um, had, she married a German, and we went, we did a wedding here, and then we went to a second wedding over in Germany. And as we're leaving Germany, we have to go on a train to France to leave. My wife and I are on this train. We've got our bags. We're trying to hustle back because my oldest son is graduating from Navy, Navy Special Forces School. So we're going to fly from Germany to Chicago to go to celebration. Well, on the train, I'm carrying my wife's bag and my bag. Somebody on this train, you're packed. This unzips my pocket right here and takes out my passport and my wallet. Okay? So now I end up at the airport, ready to get on my plane, and I have no identification. I have no money. I have no way to get money, and I I like, I have nothing. So they won't let me on the plane. So I'm left behind in France. My wife flies to my son's graduation. I don't know what to do. Here's What do you do when you don't know what to do? You remember who you are. You remember who you are. So I'm like, okay. I know in movies, they have embassies, right? So I got to find the American embassy in France, And so in Paris, as a matter of fact, so it takes me like four hours to get there because I don't have any money. I can't get on a bus. I have to walk. I can't do a taxi. So I show up to the American embassy and and the first thing out of my mouth is this, because I cannot prove who I am because I have no identification. I just look at this guy and I'm like, I'm an American citizen and all of my identification was stolen and I need to get back to the United States for my son's graduation. And he looks at me and he goes, you have nothing to prove who you are. I'm like, I've got nothing. He goes, well, you're going to have to come in here. Okay. He goes, but you can't come in here with your backpack. I'm like, what do I do with my backpack? Because you're going to have to walk two miles down to the Mexican embassy and the Mexican embassy will take your backpack. I was like, okay. So I walked to the Mexican embassy and they put up a chain around my neck with a Mexican flag. And identification. So I leave my backpack there. I come back to the U.S. Embassy and I go, oh, I'm American citizen. I need to get back. I'm American. He goes, why are you wearing a Mexican flag? Well, because the other guy told me I had to go to the Mexican Embassy first, right? It's this crazy thing of confusion where I have to prove who I am. When you don't know who you are, I'll tell you what. You become anybody you need to be. If I don't know who I am, you need me to be that? I'll be that. Know who you are. What does God say about you? Okay, Now, now I know some of you guys in the room, you're, you're just trying to figure this out. I call it being spiritually unresolved. But the moment that you say yes to Jesus and you surrender your, your life to him, here's a few things that you can know about yourself. doesn't mean you always feel this about yourself. doesn't mean you always live up to it. But this is what Peter says. He says, the moment you say yes to Jesus, you become chosen. Chosen, what a beautiful word. Um, I don't know if you guys still do this on the playground, but, like, I remember when I was a kid in elementary school, I switched schools a whole bunch of times. And I ended up at this new school, and every – I know you can't do this. We used to play tackle football at recess. It was awesome. Like, we would just just hurt each other. And I, it was my first day at school, and we lined up. And how did you determine teams? The two coolest kids in the school, right, are the, are the captains, and then they pick you. And there was, like, I still remember this. I think I'm traumatized now that I'm 50 years old. Like, I was the new kid, and they're like, pick you, pick you, pick you, pick you, pick you. And it was me and this, like, completely geeky kid were the only two left. And I was like, no way at my old school. They would have picked me early. And, like, the captain looks between the two of us. He goes, I'll choose the geek. Now, I was the last one, and the other team captain looks, and goes, take the new kid, right? It was this sense of like, what is wrong with me? Everybody wonders that. Like every kid, every junior higher, every high schooler, you go through a sense of identity crisis. Like, who am I? Does anybody want me? Like you're pretending to be things you're not just to find acceptance. Here's what I can tell you. You're not the last to be picked. Here's what God says about you. I chose You. You. I drafted you on my team. When I looked at everybody out there, I said, I want her. I want him. You are chosen by God. That's where your identity begins. Secondly, he says that you are his special possession. Special possession. Like, we don't think of ourselves that way, right? Do you ever be like, I'm really special? God says this a do you ever, uh, maybe you had a little sibling or something, they had like a blankie, and without the blankie, they freaked out, or like, this is my, my thing. God, God would say this, like, you, you're my special possession. Like, I, I know you. I need you. I love you. You are my special possession. Here's the third thing he says about who you are. He says, you're a priest or a priestess a royal priesthood. Actually, he brings in this whole language of being a prince or a princess of the king. You know what a priest was in in that culture? The priest was the person that like could talk to God, represented God. So here's God, right? And here's the people, the priest or the priestess stood between the people who were wondering, who is God? What does God do? What does he want from me? And God, he says, you're, when you, when you follow me, you're my priest. You're my my royal priesthood, you're my daughter, you're my princess, you're my son, and you represent me to the world as a whole. That is part of your identity. And then he says, you're a holy nation. I don't know about you, but like how many of us, how many would, anybody in the room say, hey, you know what, today I was holy the entire day. And they're, okay, blue sweatshirt guy, we need to talk to you afterwards. The rest of us, Virginia rocks is what it's sweat, or virginity rocks. That's even better. Okay, he maybe he was. That's serious. I thought it was Virginia, and this is no virginity rocks. Right on. So that's holiness, right? That's part of it right there. <laughs> no, I stirred it up, didn't I? So, so this whole idea of holy, this is what God says. When I look at you, I do not look at what you did last week. I do not look at your failures. Part of your identity is when, you are, when you're following Jesus, you're in Jesus. The Bible says this over and over again. Let me illustrate it this way. This is my passport, right? When, what does God see? If this is all me, he's going to see like everything I've ever done wrong, all my failures. We, when, when you say yes to Jesus, you are now included in his life and death and resurrection, and you're in him. And so when God looks down, he just sees, oh, I don't even see your sin. I just see that Jesus paid for it all. I see that you're forgiven. You're a holy nation. You're a people belonging to God. That's the next part of your identity. You belong to him. And then he says, at one time, you had no mercy. You were on your own. Now you've been gifted mercy from God. That, ladies and gentlemen, is your identity. And when culture tells you you're something else, what does culture tell you? Man, you... From your earliest science class, you learned that you're just like part of some huge cosmic case of indigestion that happened one time and like the universe farted and then human life crawled out of the sea, right? Man, no, no, no. You are designed and created by God. Okay, so you got to know who you are, who you are. Say most important thing, living in your culture, following Jesus, know who you are. You can't forget it. Here's the second thing. It's, uh, he tells you how to live, okay? So live as foreigners, live as strangers, live as exiles. Now, what does that mean? Does anybody feel like a little bit of a stranger? <laughs> like, oh, man, yeah, I just I feel a little awkward. Here's what Paul, Peter says. He says, if you want to live in culture, you're going to have to live as if you're an exile. What's an exile? An exile is somebody who used to live somewhere else, but now has to live in a totally foreign place. So when you live as an exile, as a stranger, as an alien you realize this, I am only visiting here. I am only visiting here. This is not my permanent home. I've had some interesting experiences where I've used this thing to travel to different parts of the world. Um, First time I was in East Africa, nobody warned me. You know what men in East Africa do? They hold hands if they like you. I'm like in the back of this truck, we're driving through the jungle, and this guy reaches over and grabs my hand like like this, like interlocking digits hand, and I was like, oh, hey, dude, and the guy next to me on the other side grabs my other hand, and we're just like going down the road, and I'm like, oh, sweaty palms, this is so weird. You know, in East Africa, if you're married, you never show affection to your spouse, but if you like a guy, you just hold his hand, and so like Oh, the whole time in Africa, I'm just walking through Africa, like holding guys' hands. It's so odd. I'm in Eastern Europe one time. I'm speaking at a church. And they take it seriously. In Peter's letter, the one we just read, another place that says, greet one another with a holy kiss. During church, they turn around and kiss each other. Not on the cheek. On the lips. And you're just like, oh, Like guy after dude after dude kissing me on the lips is part of their culture okay I'm a stranger to that culture I'm only visiting aren't you glad I didn't bring those two things home right yeah you just see you get uncomfortable like right now come up here let's hold hands I want to kiss you gross gross right Here's what Paul says. This is a completely different world that you live in, and your customs. Okay, hear this. Your customs, the way you live your life, is different than how everybody else lives their life. Why? Because you know who you are. You're not just a part of the crowd, you're God's chosen, you're a royal priest. You belong to him. Therefore, I live as a stranger. I live as an exile. And then he he adds into this, right? Remember, first he talks about their identity. Then he says, and you live as an exile. Live as a stranger. Live disattached. Don't attach to things. Like, you just live. Like, I'm here. I'm here for a purpose. I'm here for a mission. He says, here's what you need to do. If you want to make it, right? These two things of bringing your your life in Jesus together with living in your culture. He says, I want you to abstain from the sinful desires that wage war against your soul. Did you know that you are in a war right now? Right? It's a war and not a gunshot has been fired. Every single one of us, every single one of us, you're in a war. There are these things called sinful desires. You can call them your instincts. You can call them the, the norm for how everybody lives and what they do. There are all these things that are in me, my selfishness. And that, what they, here's what they do. They wage war against my soul. They, they, they ask me to be subhuman. They ask me to be selfish. They ask me to be focused on me and what I want. And here's what Peter says. He says, if you want to live in culture and thrive, you're going to have to wage a war okay, and abstain from all these things that are coming against your soul. Anybody know what the word abstain means? What's your best guess? Don't do it, right? Don't do it. He just says, there's ways that people live their life, and that's normal, but you're going to have to understand this. You're not that person. You have a different identity, so you're going to abstain. You're like, no, 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 that's not me. Maybe that was the old me. Maybe that's the me without Jesus, but that's not the new me. I'm a royal priest or priestess. I belong to God. And if I do those things, that's less than who I actually am. So he brings in your identity. And then he says, here's what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to abstain. You're going to have to find a way to go, no, no, no. And then the final thing he asks them to do is he says, I want you to live such good lives amongst the pagans. Such good lives amongst the pagans. Even though they may accuse you of wrong, in the last days, they look at and they go like, That guy, she was amazing. They actually glorify God because of the way you lived your life. So this is in the midst of it. Because you basically have two two options here, right? And we're going to talk about how do you follow Jesus and also live in the real world. Your first option would be retreat, okay? Like, man, if you go to public school, it's like, hey, I just keep my head down. I don't talk to anybody. I don't engage because... This is like, a, I'm a stranger, I'm an alien here, I'm going to retreat from society. Whole movements of the church have done this, right? The monastic lifestyle sometimes was like this. Is you just, let's build a little culture, let's build a wall of fence and like wage war against culture. But Paul doesn't, Peter doesn't say wage war against culture, he says wage war against the things that are trying to ruin your soul, okay? So you don't want to retreat, you don't want to retreat. He says, instead, I want you to engage, I want you to engage. I want you to live such good lives. Like lives that are, it's not like, it isn't like goody two-shoes stuff, but this is like, this is like standing up for what is right. This is when, when everybody else has words that tear each other down. Oh my goodness, young people, you're so good at that. I was an expert too when I was your age. Like words that tear people down to be able to say, you know what? I've got something else to say to you. You, you are something. You are important. You are valuable. Here's the things i notice in your life. He says, live such good lives in the midst of culture that those people go, man, that God behind that woman, that God behind that guy is something. Here's, here's, I have three things for you, okay? Ready? Three things. If you want to live in the midst of culture, right? First of all, you have to know what, who you are, right? It's all about your identity. Who are you? Who are you? You're a princess. You're prince of the king. You're a priest. You stand before people and God, right? You're chosen. You're loved. You have mercy. And then you abstain. You engage in this war. You say, no, 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 I'm not going to be overcome by the war. And then you live this good life, a different life, a real life, a beautiful life. So here's my question. Number one, if you want to live in the midst of culture, ask yourself this. How can I represent my king well? How can I represent my king well? Because remember, you're you're an alien. You're a stranger. You're an exile. You are, now this is going to sound spooky. It sounds like a sci-fi movie. You are a visitor to planet Earth. But you're here for a purpose. Here for a purpose. So you, you ask yourself this. Okay, in this moment where I'm angry, okay, in this moment where I'm tempted, Wait, I remember who I am. I may not always feel chosen, but I remember that God says, I chose you. So how can I represent my king well? Instead of giving, getting even, well, my king says, King Jesus says, to forgive. How can I represent my king well? If, if, if you go to school, if you go into your friendships, and you just think about that, like, how do I represent the king well? How do I live that life where people go, that was beautiful. That's a really way, interesting way of seeing, of thinking, of doing. Here's my second question. Ask yourself, why don't I fit in? And I want to say something else. If you do fit in and you're a follower of Jesus, I think you need to think about that. Anybody in the room not know what it's like to not fit in, to feel a little left out? If you're a follower of Jesus, you'll always feel a little bit awkward. You always feel like, I, don't, I just don't quite fit in at that party, at that event, in that discussion. Like, I just have a different perspective. I have different values than they have. Listen, why don't you fit in? I think it's actually a really good thing if you don't fit in. Because if, if you don't fit in, that means you have a different king. And you're a citizen of a different land. You're not a citizen of this world or of this culture. So it's okay not to fit in. It's okay to say, I I just have a different view on that. Here's my third and final thing ask yourself this. If you're in exile, okay, which Peter says you are, ask yourself, how can I make this place better? Okay, rather than fighting against culture, ask yourself, how can I make this place better? There's this uh, beautiful, beautiful, painful moment in the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah is written to the Jewish people who have been taken out of Israel, and now they're in a place called Babylon, and they miss their culture. Their temple's been destroyed. They feel so alone. Their nation's been devastated. They just have nothing left, and so they're exiles in Babylon, and here's what God tells them to do in the book of Jeremiah. He says, I want you not to, like, mourn the loss of what was. As an exile in a place that you're not comfortable, I want you to plant gardens. I want you to celebrate. I want you to make the nation of Babylon a better place. I want you to, like, instead of just waiting, sitting around waiting for heaven, why don't we make it better? Ask yourself, what can I do to make this world better? That's what a citizen of the kingdom of God does. I'm not just passive, I'm not just observing. I'm asking like, how, how can I make my friend circle better? How can I make this situation better? How could I represent my king? How could I be a priest in this moment? How can I stand between people and God? How can I let them know how much God loves them and how desperately He cares about them? How can I make this place better? If there's nothing else, I just want you to remember this simple phrase, like think about this phrase, okay? If you want to understand how to live as a follower of Jesus in this culture, remind yourself of this. I am in, but not of, okay? I am in. I live in this world, right? And this world has a whole system. This world has a system of when somebody offends you, you offend them, offend them back, revenge, go, 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 go. When somebody talks about you, you talk about them. I'm in this world, but I'm not of this world. I'm from a different place entirely. My values, my ethics, my words, my actions, they're a part of another kingdom. Final story. Probably the most uh, culturally awkward I ever felt is when I visited the Hopi Native Reservation in Arizona. Hopi is a fascinating, fascinating culture. I've been all over the world, and I've never been as confused as in the United States at the Hopi Reservation. So the Hopi tribe lives on three separate mesas, each one separated by about two miles. And you can't get there unless you're invited. So here's a couple of things about Hopis that just made, it just turned everything upside down. One, it's a completely matriarchal society. So men, okay, ladies, you're going to love this. By the way, you're mostly segregated. I just noticed this. Um, You're going to love this, ladies, and a couple over here. Did you know that in Hopi culture, men, the only thing they own are the clothes that they are currently wearing. Even the clothes in their closet belong to their wives. Okay. Men in Hopi culture are not allowed to own property. You can't buy a house and you cannot have a bank account. So your money, if you have a job working for the tribe, all of your money goes to your mother or to your wife if you're married. Okay. It's a totally different culture. So we show up to Hopi and in order to like engage, what do I have to do? where you have to go meet with the elder, and the elder is always a woman. So you go into this room, there's just this sweet old, like picture her, right? Sweet old native lady, she's drinking her tea, and you walk in, she doesn't say a word to you, like for the first 45 minutes. And you're just, okay, okay. And she looks up and she says, I need someone to trim all of my fruit trees. And you go, yes, ma'am. And you walk outside, and I work for the next six hours to trim her fruit trees. The next lady I visit says, she's the librarian for the tribe. She runs the bookmobile. She says, the bookmobile went over a bump and all the books fell out. I needed someone to go put all the books in order. And I'm, you guys probably don't even know what the Dewey Decimal System is, do you? Is anybody, okay, some of you do. Yeah, yeah, like where every book has letters and numbers, and I'm like trying to put hundreds of books back in there. So you serve these people. Um, do you know, how, you know how Hopi people get married? The woman asks the man. <laughs> and the man doesn't have any choice. <laughs> you just have to marry him, right? That's just the way it is. Do you know? Okay, guys, you're going to love this. Do you know that a, a Hopi man has no responsibilities whatsoever in raising children? You are not. If you're a Hopi man... You married a woman from another clan, and so the man has no responsibilities. He cannot train or teach his children. It's not allowed according to law. So the woman's father and brothers train their children. Like, this is a place where everything I'm doing is wrong. I'm discombobulated, and I, I felt like a foreigner, and I felt like a stranger, and I felt like an exile, but I made amazing friends. It's a culture that has never said yes to Jesus. But I'm going to go back in February, and I'm going to trim fruit trees, and I'm going to organize books, and I'm going to feel awkward the entire time, and I am going to be told by women what to do for five straight days. You know what? I can do that because I know my identity. I'm chosen. I'm God's special possession. I'm a royal priest. I'm part of a holy nation. I belong to God and I have mercy. See, when you know that, you can do anything. I can go anywhere because this world is not my own. I am in, but I'm not of. I am in, but not, I'm not of. Why don't you take a moment? Would you guys pray with me? I'm going to ask Kelsey to come up if you guys send in any questions. But let's pray first, okay? Lord, uh, thanks for this amazing group of young people. I, I just I love seeing them here. Lord, thanks for the chance to talk about what it means to follow Jesus and live in the world today. Lord, we feel a little awkward. And that's probably exactly how we should feel. Because this world isn't our home. We come from a different place and we're going to a different place. Lord, we don't want to be passive while we live here. We're not trying to retreat. Instead, we, we want to wage this war against our soul. We, we just say no to things that go against our identity. That's not who I am. And we want to live these good lives. good lives that shock people. Lord, most of all, before anything else, I just pray for every student in the room that we would understand who we are. We get so lost up. We have identity crisis. All of these things happen. We understand that we are chosen, that we are God's princes and princesses. We understand that we are a special possession. Some of us, we're dealing with feelings of worthlessness. Right now, we don't feel like we measure up. We don't feel like we can be loved. We may not always have a family that's supportive. God, this is what we find. We find our security and our identity in you, and that allows us to live brave and courageous lives. In Jesus' name, we pray this. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the College Age Movement podcast. College Age Movement's in-person gatherings meet Tuesday nights at 7, and we would love to have you there. If you are unable to join us in person, you can engage online at faithchapel.cc or follow us on our socials at collegeagemvmt.